All right, let's hit it, Jazz fans. A big week in jazz history. A lot to talk about as Gordon Hayward chooses the Boston Celtics over the Utah Jazz. And there's a lot to clean up, a lot of questions coming out of that. And so here we are to dive into that at the Salt City Hoops podcast. I'm Dan Clayton, the associate editor of Salt City Hoops. Coming at you solo this time, uh, you know, we'll have some more podcasts coming up where you'll get to hear some other voices uh, you know, Ken Clayton and I like to podcast together a lot, not because he's my brother, but also because he's one of the smartest jazz fans out there and he's been fanning for a long time. Um, and also talking to some of our other great Salt City Hoops contributors about some fun discussions we'd like to have. But this one, this podcast belongs to you. Uh, Friday night, I threw the challenge out to jazz fans to uh, throw some questions at me about the Hayward situation or where the jazz go from here or the the cap or what the options are and within I mean minutes or you know yeah really honestly within in less than an hour I had more than enough questions to fill a podcast so that's what I'm going to do today I'm going to try to dig in for you and answer some of the questions that are coming out of this uh this big massive news this week of Gordon Hayward's departure and obviously the Jazz trying to settle their roster uh as a result of that announcement. So here's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start with Scott's question. Uh, not, you know, Scott's a good friend of mine and I've known Scott for a lot of years. He threw this question at me last night. Uh, but it's also, I'm starting here because I think it's the most important question to kind of just level set in terms of what the expectations are and where the Jazz are at. So let me read Scott's question and then I'll tell you why I think this is important. He says, with Hayward gone, it would waste Rudy's talent to tear it down. So what's the answer? Trade Rudy for a bunch of awesome draft picks, tank and start over, or is there some way to continue what has been started? Um, I got a couple different versions of this question, actually. Randy asked, what do they do now? Do they hold and reassess? What's the cap outlook on free agent market for the next couple of years? Should they save cap space for next summer? I'll come back to that cap space next summer point in a minute. Kelly asked, is there a chance of holding, getting a late lotto pick next year? And what would be the downside of, as he puts it, sitting tight and assessing? So let me answer all those questions and, and in doing so, kind of talk about why I think this is the question right now for the Jazz, for their fans, for those of us who write and talk and, and uh, otherwise analyze the Jazz. So <clears throat> let's, let's start with an assessment of who the Jazz are right now. Um, because if, if, the, if the assumption is that if they just do nothing and hold that they get another lottery pick, then I think we maybe should start there. So this was a 51-win team last season, but not really a 51-win team, right? Because, you know, we've all seen the stats about the wins lost to injury. Um, <clears throat> they... Their net rating was elite. Their net rating was the fifth best in the league, and that usually correlates to a higher win total. So, you know, in terms of macro quality, and, and you know, this isn't how they pick playoff seedings and things like that, but in terms of figuring out what the Jazz's starting point is, I think you look at that kind of information and you say that probably before Gordon Hayward's departure, this was a team that was performing around the level of, you know, mid-50s uh, for wins, right? 
then they lost Hayward and that's big. And I didn't, you know, like we can't, there's no way to sugarcoat the fact that losing Hayward is big. He was about a 10 win share player, or if you prefer the VORP based wins added over replacement, um, he's about, he's worth about 11 wins. So, so let's say that just if you're doing win share arithmetic and there are problems with win share arithmetic, but let's say that if you do that, you're talking about the Jazz being a mid-40s team. And as I'm sure you've heard by now, uh, Ricky Rubio projects out a little better than George Hill in some models that, that predict how players will will perform and contribute wins over the next two to three seasons. And the hope is that Favors won't miss a bunch of games and be hobbled for the ones he does play. And the hope is that Hood gets more consistent. And the hope is that Exum takes a step forward and Donovan Mitchell is ready to contribute. And And... And here's the thing, Jazz fans, not all of those things will happen, okay? Not all those things will happen. No franchise in the league hits on all their bets. Nobody does. Even the vaunted Spurs or, or teams that we think have the Midas touch, nobody hits on all of them. I mean, think about it. The Spurs thought LaMarcus Aldridge was a relative no-brainer, <clears throat> right? I mean, they went out and they got an all-star. And 82 games into that relationship, things are awkward and reportedly both parties are interested in, you know, maybe moving on. So not everything works out, even for super smart teams. Not every not every young player with potential realizes the very tippy top of their range, their best case development scenario, right? Like right now, there exists in the universe alternate paths of reality that take a player like Rodney Hood as high as blank and as low as blank. And, and you know, there's a range that he could hit. Could Rodney Hood still be an all-star? Sure, he could still be an all-star someday. Could he never get much better than he is right now? Yeah, that's a possibility too. Same thing for Dante Exum, th- same thing for Donovan Mitchell. And the Jazz are not going to hit on all of those. But if Rubio's good and Favors is healthy, and even just one or two of those young guys make a solid, not even spectacular, but solid move forward, then then I don't know that the Jazz will be that far behind on a win-loss basis, right? Um, now, are they further away from being able to challenge Golden State? Absolutely. Are they further away from being a real contender? Absolutely. They, they lost a top 20 player. They're not a contender right now. They're not... They're not going to contend with Golden State. They're not, you know, they're not contenders. But I think it helps when answering this question or this set of questions around kind of what the Jazz are and what they do from here to acknowledge what the real baseline is. And the real baseline is not that this is a lottery team if they do nothing. The real baseline is that as presently constituted, the Jazz have another top 20 player in Rudy Gobert. They have a bunch of good young players who are still getting better. And a lot of really smart people think that this is still a playoff team. Not a contender, but a playoff team. A good team. A team that'll probably win somewhere in the 40s. Um, you know, Zach Lowe and Tom Haverstrow talked about it this week. And, um, and their consensus was kind of the same. You know, I mean, they, they think high 40s. Um, I don't know that I'm that bullish until I see what else Dennis Lindsay does this summer. But, I mean, that's the point, is that... The Jazz, um, the Jazz are still a good team. And, you know, Scott makes a good point in that you can't sit on your hands when you have a guy as good as Rudy Gobert, right? He was all, 
he was all NBA second team. And that doesn't necessarily mean he's one of the top 10 players in the NBA because some of it was just positional weirdness of how the voting works. But <clears throat> you can't tank if you have Rudy Gobert on your team. You can't, you can't waste Rudy's prime that way or else we're going to have another really bad week in July of 2021 when Rudy Gobert decides that he's impatient with, um, with being on a team. I, I, think, I think if there's a lesson to this week, and I don't know if this is whiteboard and left, but I think if there's a lesson to this week, it's that there's a cost to the slow road. And, that, and it was still the right road to take. And you've seen all the national guys say this week that the Jazz did, it, did things the right way. They did everything right. So I don't say this to blame the Jazz, but there is a cost to the slow burn. And, and there's a psychological cost. And I don't think you could convince me that <clears throat> had the Jazz made the playoffs last season, and last season had kind of been their breakthrough year um, where they kind of put themselves on the map. And then this season was more like, you know, taking a step closer and being a really legitimate, um, you, you know, I don't know about contender. Although, again, they were a top five team in net rating. They were elite by a lot of measures. Um, if, if that had been the situation, if the Jazz were just one year ahead, one year quicker to kind of getting to the level where they weren't just a, a, a bunch of playoff virgins making some noise, but they were a team that actually, you know, Golden State took seriously and, and felt nervous about facing. Um, I think it would have been hard. I don't think you could convince me that it wouldn't have been harder for Gordon Hayward to leave that team. Um, now, again, that doesn't mean that I think the Jazz screwed up by doing things the way they did things. I think that they have built masterfully. I think that they put Gordon in a good situation. And, and frankly, I think the Jazz going forward with Gordon Hayward might have been better than the Celtics with Gordon Hayward will be. I, you know, we'll see. I, in fact, we won't see. There's no way to know that, right? Because um, unfortunately, we only get to see one of those two scenarios play out. But <clears throat> um, I'm a fan of what the Jazz have done. But that's just something they need to consider. They can't be um, they can't be a 38 win team this year. Not because not because it mat like not because it really matters if they win 38 or 42 or 45. I mean, like it it doesn't. <clears throat> except that if you win 38, you're still not getting a great draft pick. You're not really attracting big-name free agents because you're not really a relevant team in the grand scheme of things. So then next year, you're kind of running it back with the same, only now you've lost Derek Favors. And so, and so you know, then the next season, you're probably hovering around the same, you know, high 30s, mid, low 40s. And, and then the year after that, you lose Ricky Ruby. I, I just... I think it's dangerous for the Jazz to say we're gonna we're gonna go do a halfway rebuild, um, and frankly, Rudy Gobert is too good to do a full rebuild. Um, the Jazz aren't gonna move on from Rudy, so what does that leave the Jazz with? What are the what's the option? And I know I'm taking a long time to ask this question, but it's because it's that important. I think the option is the Jazz have to try to be good. The Jazz have to be about development for the next couple of years. They have to be all in on seeing how good Rodney Hood can be, seeing how good Dante Exum can get, seeing if Donovan Mitchell is the real thing. They have to be about that, but they have to be about it in a way that they're still good. I mean, they have to give those guys 
relevant, meaningful basketball opportunities. It's not, they can't go back to 2013 where, you know, we're finding out how good guys are by watching them play 30 minutes in a bunch of meaningless basketball games. So I think the Jazz are going to try to be good. I don't think they're done transacting this year. Um, and if you look at the sourced reporting around the Jazz, you know, from people like Tony and Jody and Andy um, and Kyle Goon, I, like the tone is that I think most of the people around the franchise, um, Locke and Spence included, I, it just sounds like people are kind of waiting for maybe something else to happen. And I think something else will happen. And I think that this Jazz team is going to try like hell to make the playoffs again and to still be good. So I, I hope that answers the questions of Scott and Randy and Kelly. But more importantly, I just hope it gives us a realistic sense of kind of what the Jazz are doing now in a post-Gordon Hayward world. Um, to, the, to the other question, the side question that Randy asked about cap space next summer, it's not, the Jazz don't really have cap space next summer. I mean, they do, but they don't. And let me tell you why. So in terms of salary that's committed for next year, um, they they have about thirty eight million in cap space. Well, first of all, we don't know what the cap is going to be, right? I'm assuming a hundred eight million dollar cap, and that's probably high. So let's change that to hundred and two million. The Jazz would have about thirty two million in in cap space based on just their their salary commitments right now. But there's a cap hold for Derek Favors if they're interested in keeping Derek Favors on the team. They they have to slot him at eighteen. The cap holds for Dante Exum and Rodney Hood are a lot higher than they used to be because the the most current collective bargaining agreement adjusted those holds up for guys coming off their rookie contracts. So Dante Exum, if you want to keep Dante Exum's matching rights, you now have to slot $15 million on your salary cap sheet just to preserve the right to sign Exum or to match contracts. Um, so, you know, we'll see what that means. We'll see what kind of a year Exum has. We'll see if the Jazz are that interested. I, you know, I think they are. Um, but obviously, we'll, we'll see what the future holds. They also could lock up Exum at an extension number that's lower than that $15 million. But the point is, when you, when you take that $32 million and then you start pulling out the money for favors for Joe Johnson even, if they're interested in keeping Joe Johnson, for Exum, for Hood... Um, <clears throat> For Wolfie, for Howell Neto, um, then you start taking away, you know, their roster would be pretty light. So there are some minimum roster charges that you'd have to pull out of that. And then obviously they're going to have a 2018 draft pick and that's going to pull some money out in the way of a hold. And, the, and you know, there's ways that you can move off of that. Like I'm sure if the right player said yes and, you know, said, I want to be part of the Utah Jazz, the Jazz would find ways to finagle around that. But the, the point is, I wouldn't go in assuming that the Jazz have cap space for next summer. So the, those were kind of the big starting point questions. And now that I've spent, you know, 12 or 13 minutes blabbing about those, let's get to the rest of the questions, um, which I, I think I'll handle a little quicker than, than those fundamental ones. Uh, so Lil Bax on Twitter asked um, how we could use a traded player exception. Um, Randy asked the same thing and, and also asked why so much, why there's so much local media talk about how Gordon Hayward owes it to the Jazz to push for a sign and trade. Um, and this is a, you know, that's an interesting question too. So basically here's how the TPE would work, the traded player exception would work. Um, 
it sounds like Mark Bartlestein, Gordon Hayward's agent, it has said publicly that Hayward is willing to help the Jazz out in that way and to let um, to let his signing, instead of having it be a straight signing with Boston, to orchestrate to, to do the paperwork in such a way that it that it's like the Jazz are signing him and then trading him to Boston, um, which costs Gordon nothing, by the way. Uh, I mean, it's nice that he's willing to to help out and throw his his former team a bone, um, but he still gets the same contract. He still gets the same years. He still gets the same raises. All of that, right? <clears throat> Boston wouldn't lose anything either. Um, but they don't gain anything. Like either way, they're going to clear the cap space for Hayward, um, so they they don't get anything for for doing that. Um, but it would be a nice thing. Here's the here's the thing though, Danny Ainge. It's not his job to do nice things for his competitors. Um, so Danny Ainge could either look at this as, hey, I'm going to do a solid for Dennis Lindsay because we have to transact and you know we have to make deals all the time and we're, and we're we're colleagues in a you know, there are only 30 guys in the world that have this job and, and he's a guy I'm going to have to call on the phone someday and ask for a favor or talk about deals. And so I want to have a good relationship. So I'm going to do Dennis this favor. Or he could look at it like, well, I'm creating an asset for the Utah Jazz if I do this. And there's no upside to me. So for me to do that favor, Dennis has to provide something of value. And he wouldn't be wrong to look at it in either way, by the way. So let's not vilify Danny or Gordon or Mark Bartlestein or anybody on that front. I mean, there we can we can talk until we're blue in the face about all the ways that this week didn't go down in an ideal fashion for the Jazz. But in terms of the TPE, like really, there's there's no loss and there's no gain where Boston's concerned and where Gordon Hayward is concerned. The, here's what the Jazz would gain if they did it that way. The Jazz would... Um, so the, the Jay Crowder thing is dead. The Boston made their moves to clear space elsewhere, so they no longer have a need to send Jay Crowder back. So the deal would be Gordon Hayward into Boston's cap space, and that would be it. The Jazz wouldn't really get anything back except for a 29.7 million traded player exception. And what that does is it gives them the ability to acquire a player or players as long as the total salary doesn't exceed the 29.7 million over the next year, but only via trade. They can't turn around and use that 29.7 million to sign another free agent. Um, they can only use it in trades. They could use it in as many different trades as they wanted to, as long as the total adds up to 29.7 or lower. Uh, meaning, you know, they could go out and immediately trade for a $12 million player and still have 17 million that they could use later this year or at the trade deadline or even next June or July, um, you know, next off season, as long as they do it by the one year anniversary of the original trade. So, so that's the situation. That's what the Jazz are, are trying to get. And I'll tell you why the Jazz are trying to get it while I answer the, the next batch of questions, because Dallas Sawyer asked, he said, love to hear about a path forward, tired of the Hayward talk. Seems like we need a big time scorer. Your thoughts or ideas on that. Jordan asked a similar question. Where do you think we find a number one option? trade, future free agency, or draft. Randy said, any potential to the Jazz getting a star in the next couple of years, like OKC got Paul George. New Orleans will likely end up moving AD after the denial phase ends, question mark. Um, so I think I think AD, Anthony Davis, is too good for that to happen. I don't think the Pelicans are just going to give up on a guy who has been an MVP candidate early in his career. Um, <clears throat> 
the Paul George situation was a special case. I think he was available specifically because he had announced that he was going to leave Indiana and he was going to be a rental and that drove his value down and made him acquirable to the NBA market. So those probably aren't the deals, but I think to the broader question that Dallas and Jordan and Randy are answering here, um, you know, players sometimes become available because of circumstances and the Jazz would want to be in a position where if that happens, they can pounce and they're not going to be in that position on the basis of their cap space. The Jazz don't really have cap space left this off season um, <clears throat> unless they waive Boris Diaw and trade Alec Burks and you know they can do some other things. But like basically they can create a little bit of room this off season. And as I talked about, um, you know, their situation for next off season depends on their approach to those pending free agents and restricted free agents. Um, so the Jazz want to be in a position where they could jump if, I mean, let's say, because Dallas asked me for ideas, so let's let's just throw out an idea. It's been rumored for a long time that that the Cavs want to upgrade some wing help, and um, that might mean bringing Carmelo Anthony in, but the Knicks aren't really interested in Kevin Love, so could they find a third team to take Kevin Love, and then that team would send some stuff to New York. Uh, and And I don't, I don't know that this deal has been discussed. I don't know that the Jazz are part of it. I don't know that the Jazz are even interested in Kevin Love. But Kevin Love, when he's good, is a pretty elite scorer. He is, you know, he was a 20 and 10 guy, 25 and 12 guy when he was with Minnesota, when he was playing with Ricky Rubio before. So maybe that's something that interests them. And a tra- a TPE would put them in a position where they could take that money back for Kevin Love. So you know, that's the, that's what a TPE gets them is the ability to, um, to take back someone who comes available circumstantially. Now to answer Dallas, your question, I don't know who else, like, I don't, we could speculate on like who might become available. That's a kind of a star level player, but I think it's so like players like that don't usually move unless something weird is up, unless a, a team wants to move on or, you know, a guy's, unhappy or dissatisfied like LaMarcus Aldridge is available but he's available because they're having a hard time fitting him into the culture of the Spurs so then you wonder okay well how appealing is that to the Jazz so I don't don't want to speculate on what other number one kind of guys or or all-star kind of guys might become available but the TPE just gives the Jazz a chance to stay in that conversation Okay, so keep that in mind. Keep an eye on the love thing. Again, I don't know if it's a real possibility, but that's the that's the only kind of thing I could see maybe being a, a possibility in the immediate term that gets the Jazz a, a quote-unquote number one guy, a, a quote-unquote star. Um, there are some other questions that came in about some other you know short-term possibilities for the Jazz. Uh, so let's start with AC, who, who brought up a possibility. He said, assuming the Jazz try to find a small forward through trade, and Jay Crowder is off the table. Who do you think we target? And he he brought up Contavious Caldwell Pope specifically. So KCP um, turned down reportedly turned down a five year, eighty million dollar offer from the Detroit Pistons, his his current team, former team. Um, they have since pulled his qualifying offer, so he's now an unrestricted free agent and probably one of the top free agents left. the The problem is 
A, his asking price. I mean, if he's turning down $16 million a year, then he's too pricey for the Jazz to get him without the traded player exception, right? And even if they had the TPE, then they'd have to convince Detroit to sign him and trade him into their space, which Detroit could do, um, but there'd be some interesting finagling there because Detroit is also hard-capped, which I, I I'm not going to get into what hard-capped means, but basically there's a there's a line in the sand that Detroit can't cross now because of some of the tools they've used to acquire players. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, the other problem with KCP is that he's 6'5", and he's not particularly big, and he's not particularly long. I think he's got like a 6'9", 6'10", wingspan. So he's not, I mean, like, he's long, but he's, because he's kind of slight of build and he's 6'5", he's not a guy, if you've watched the Pistons, he's not a guy who you really want to throw at the bigger wings in the league. And I know that everyone likes to think that it's a positionless NBA now and that, you know, it doesn't really matter if you're a two or a three. And that's true. I mean, like, you can play that way on offense. Um, but at the end of the day, you still have to be able to guard the other team. And there are so many teams now that have big threes. And I'm not just talking about LeBron and KD and Jimmy Butler or, uh, or, or Paul George. But there's also, you know, there's the Tobias Harris's and there's... Um, you know, Trevor Ariza is, is tall, but he doesn't particularly play a big game. But there's just so many guys in the league that are big wings. And and I'm not sure that KCP can really, can really guard that. And if he can't, then that basically means that there are going to be times where you have to play him at two. And the Jazz at the two also have, you know, Rodney Hood is certainly going to log some minutes at both the two and three spots. Um, <clears throat> which, again, basically means that the Jazz consider him a wing on offense, but because he's six eight, he can you know he can occasionally guard the bigger guys, um, <clears throat> and uh, and Dante. But then there's Dante Exum and Donovan Mitchell, who really can't play. And Alec Burks, if if you're still kind of counting on Alec Burks to make a, a major contribution this upcoming season, those are guys who can't really play the three defensively. If if the opposing wing is you know if the opposing team has a big wing at all. Um, so if you get KCP, you're eating into the Mitchell and the Exum minutes and the Burks minutes. And, um, whereas if you got a little bit of a bigger wing, you, you might not be in that position. You know what I mean? You might have a guy who actually gives you more positional versatility instead of saying like, oh, wow, it's suddenly going to be hard for Donovan Mitchell to get off the bench unless he plays the one. And if he's playing the one, then now it's hard for Donovan, uh, for Dante Exum to get off the bench. And, you know, that's that's something that the jazz will consider. So I think they're after a bigger wing. Um, Tyler asked about Aminu or Obre, Kelly Obre Jr. Um, Aminu is an improved shooter. Um, he doesn't give you much more than that on offense. He's a really good defensive player. He's kind of just one of those guys who's a pest defensively. Um, might be a little duplicative of of some of the things that um, that you get from Joe Ingles on defense, but offensively a, a, a different player. He's he's longer, and so he's probably more of a rim, rim protector than Joe, so that's, that's a little unfair. But in terms of his wing defense, he's that same guy who just kind of blankets and pesters dudes. Um, Justin Sweeney, who is one of my favorite jazz tweeters, 
he's a he's a Portland guy. He's not based in Portland anymore, but he he was for a long time, and so he's kind of in tune with the Blazers and watches a lot of Blazers games. And he, and he sort of feels like Aminu might just be done, might just be a little washed at this point. I I don't know. I I haven't I haven't looked that closely at Aminu specifically. I, I would just keep that in mind. Obre is interesting. Um, you know, he's six seven. He traditionally he's a shooting guard, but he's six seven, so he you know he can probably. Um, play up and give the Jazz some versatility, you know, in the way I just described. <clears throat> but he's still on his rookie deal, and the Wizards like him an awful lot. And he's got this season and one more season on his rookie deal before he's either going to be extension eligible or be a restricted free agent. And that's not a point at most guys' careers where their teams are willing to just give them away. Um, so, so that'd be that'd be an interesting one. I think it could happen if the Wizards just decide that after they match on Otto Porter, they're just investing too much in their wings and they know that they're not going to pay Kelly Obre going forward. Um, but I think the Jazz might have a hard time getting to Kelly Obre. I don't know. I I could be wrong. Um, it might take a Hood type of offer, although Hood's payday comes a year sooner than Kelly Obre Jr.'s. So I don't know why Washington, if, if the whole reason they're doing it is because of a salary crunch, I don't know why they'd take a guy who who gets paid earlier. Um, Clayson asked about Shabazz Muhammad. Um, Shabazz Muhammad is not a starting level player. Now, he's not a high-level rotation player. He can play rotation minutes. He wasn't particularly good last year. Um, so if he comes, I think the question is, is he really good enough to to help out in a major way with, um, you know, with, with minutes that otherwise would go to Hood and Joe Ingles and Joe Johnson. I, I'm not sure he's better than any of those guys. Um, <clears throat> so, so then who are we talking about? I mean, maybe at that point you're looking at, um, no, I don't, I don't know if Denver makes Wilson Chandler available at some point. I kind of doubt it because it looks like they're trying to be good with the Paul Millsap signing and some other stuff that they've done. Um, but that's a guy who is a big three. He can guard big threes. He can play some four. Um, he's got... He, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily define him as a stretch four, but he's a skilled guy in the sense that like he can make decisions out on the court. He can pass a little bit and that sort of thing. Um, that'd be an interesting fit, but he's under contract. So he's he's only available if Denver decides to make him available. And then the Jazz would obviously have to pony up some assets. And I'm not sure I'm not sure what that offer looks like. Some other questions quickly, and then we'll wrap this one up. Uh, Kirk asks, what team in the tax is most likely to give up a rotational player for a contract like Diaz? Uh, I, I don't know. I think that what you'd have to look at is not just teams in the tax, but maybe teams that are hard capped and need a little bit more room to operate. Um, maybe some teams that have cap space but not enough cap space to do some things they want to do. Um, but I'm not sure that we can assume that Diao is going to get is going to get used that way in a trade. Um, there have been, you know, since the day of the draft, there have been players almost every day who have had contracts that, like Diaz, are are completely non guaranteed up until a point in the summer. And we've had guys that already passed that point and that you would think they would have been really good trade assets leading up to that point, but they didn't get traded. They either had their salary guaranteed or they just quietly got waived. Like Ryan Kelly got waived yesterday. 
Wayne Ellington of the Heat had his salary guaranteed. Aaron Aflalo only had a million and a half guaranteed of his $12.5 million contract. The Kings couldn't find a taker for that, and so they waived him. Um, I mean, think about how much $12.5 million would have helped them in a trade, but it just, it, the deal wasn't there. So I'm not sure that Diaw's expiring or, or non-guaranteed contract is as valuable as everybody thinks it is. And I still think that there's a good possibility that the Jazz cut Diaw before his 7.5 million guarantees and then re-sign him after the fact to a minimum contract. It's just a hunch. I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, but I bet that the Diaw would be willing to do that. I, in other words, I bet the Diaw is self-aware enough to realize that he's probably not going to make the 7.5 million next year no matter what. And I think he likes it enough in Utah that he might be willing to stay. Mr. Red asked, um, when I hadn't done my homework, I compared Mitchell to Dion Waiters with better defense after Summer League 2017. Maybe we hope for Ben Gordon with better defense. What's his ceiling? Um, I've said all along, I'm not the best draft guy just because I, I'm so into the NBA that I don't spend a lot of time on college ball. So at this point, I've seen about, I've, I've seen about as much as, of Donovan Mitchell as you all have. Um, I think I'm impressed. I don't know that I love the comp game as much as other people do. I think um, I think based on what we're seeing now, it's going to be hard for Quinn Snyder not to play him. Although the caveat on that is that we're watching him do this against summer league competition, and obviously it's you know it's a different thing. It's it's int- I mean, one thing I try to keep in mind when I'm watching like Draft Express videos and and college highlights and stuff like that is that. <clears throat> When you're, when you're playing against college guys, there are some things that you're going to be able to do if you're an above average athlete that then you get, or, or, or even just because of size, you know, the, the size and the athleticism is so different in the NBA that then guys get to the NBA and it's like, oh my gosh, I had no idea that my shot was going to get blocked. Like take uh, Nigel Williams Goss. He's had a couple of plays during summer league where it's like, I, the whole play, I was thinking he's going to get blocked, and he didn't know he was going to get blocked because he's just not used to playing on a court where all ten guys are elite in their size, in their quickness, in their athleticism, and um, and you know guys adjust. To, some guys adjust to that, some guys don't. But I, I guess the point I'd make with Donovan is he does not look out of his class at all. He does not look like he's overwhelmed playing with. NBA dudes. Now it might be different, you know, in the fall when he's playing against men who'd have been doing this professionally for a lot of years instead of, you know, kind of this group of NBA hopefuls. But, uh, but I would say that I'm encouraged by Donovan Mitchell's summer. Um, another question from Little Bax. He asked how a buyout would work if the Jazz decided to buy out someone like uh, Alec Burks. Well, he asked Burks or Diaw, but Diaw is non-guaranteed. So as I mentioned, they can just they can cut him and make his 7.5 million go away. The way it would work with Burks is that would allow the Jazz to reduce the cap hit of any money they still owed Burks. Um, it wouldn't come off the cap. Uh, you know, his salary would still be there to the degree that it was that it was reduced by the buyout. Um, but that is a possibility. And then Corey asked, and I almost hate to end on this. I should have I should have planned this better because I hate to at, end on a Hayward question after we've been kind of looking forward but Corey asked Hayward was great but never a superstar do you think not tying up the money for a few years from now will work out in the long run 
Um, I applaud you, Corey, for trying to find the silver lining. I'm sorry, but I just can't get there. I, I don't, there's no way that a team can say, well, thank goodness we don't have to pay that top 20 player. You win in the NBA if you have top 20 players, if you have superstars. Um, the Hayward loss is going to hurt the Jazz. The Hayward loss is going to be difficult to recover from. Um, they had built the roster and the and the cap sheet around Hayward. They had done everything assuming that Hayward was going to be there because Hayward had given them indications that he was going to be there. And he was still working out with the team staff and he was still using Johnny Bryant and the trainers and the masseuses like up until like literally days before he decided to go to Boston or until he announced his decision to go to Boston. Um, so the Jazz had everything kind of orchestrated around, you know, how are we going to make this work around Gordon Hayward? And now they don't have that there. And it's going to take a while to, to figure out how they adjust and what their options are. And as we've now spent the last 30, 35 minutes talking about, um, there aren't a lot of easy answers now. Um, so no, I'm sorry, Corey, but I, I think... Um, I don't think that the Jazz will be happy that they that they lost Gordon Hayward. Now they might eventually find a path forward that works just as well or that works better. You know, they might, you know, Mitchell or Exum might develop into something special. Hood could be really good. And I still think, and by the way, this is probably going to be my next Salt City Hoops column. Um, keep an eye on Derek Favors. I just I'll I'll have more to say about this in writing in the next few days, but um I'm one of those people that never stopped believing in Derek Favors. I think he was hurt, but he's also a 25-year-old guy, and I don't think that any of his injuries were the kind that puts careers in jeopardy. I think he'll get better, and I think of anyone on this roster, other than Joe Johnson, who historically was you know, a star-level player, outside of Johnson, I don't think anyone else on the Jazz's roster um, has the experience that Fave has of kind of co-leading an offense and doing it in an efficient way. Um, I think he could be primed to, especially with a passing point guard like Rubio, Favors could be primed to have a pretty nice year. And and I think right now, today, with, you know, assuming the Jazz make no more moves, and, and I think the Jazz will make more moves, but right now I think Favors is my odds-on favorite to lead the Jazz in scoring, or at least to be the player who's most capable of, of having the tools to do that. Um, he scores in more ways than Hood. He scores more efficiently than Hood. And like I say, he's he's been there before, um, where he's been the second option on a team, and um, and you know, Hood Hood is good for a month or two at a time. Hood's never really put a full season together, so that'll be the challenge for him. So that's a start. Um, obviously, a whole bunch more to pick apart, and we'll keep doing that at SaltCityHoops.com. But for now, thanks for joining this uh, this podcast. Thanks for sending in questions, and hopefully, that gives you a bit of a sense on. Um, what some potential paths forward for the Utah Jazz might be. It's been a big week, um, and we'll keep talking about it right here at saltcityhoops.com.